Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. As we begin, we are starting a new series uh, today, uh, kind of a new season as well. But I, I do want to uh, pause and just say thank you um, on behalf of our family. Many of you, most of you probably know that um, my dad passed away about a week and a half ago suddenly. And the outpouring of support for our family has just been amazing. And um, so we're super grateful. I'm thankful to be a part um, of a community like this. And also, I think it's worth recognizing that this people walk in and every week and have suffered and experienced some kind of loss or something that's happened. And it's, it means a lot when we posture ourselves towards one another uh, in these ways. And I hope that if that's your experience that you feel uh, some of that um, as well and just know that I'm profoundly grateful for the way you have um, supported our family um, during this. And um, so today, you know, part of this, you know, Easter was, uh, I just felt it was, just, it was a really great reminder um, for me uh, for a lot of reasons. But today I want to sort of tip into the future. Um, as we've been thinking about this, what we're going to do post-Easter and how we're going to uh, approach our church post-Easter, um, obviously we invited people to come back, not so we could just continue to sort of build some kind of attendance model. But I, I really believe that uh, we've been saying this really since COVID. When COVID hit, I remember very, very vividly, you know, everybody going, we got to get back to normal, we got to get back to normal. And around here, we just said, we're not going back to normal. We're not going back to anything. We want to, this is, this is, something's happening in the future. And it's taken the better part of these three years to start to get a, a glimpse of that. And so I want to begin to tease this out and give us vision for what I think is going to be required of the church. I think this is really one of the places where the church um, actually gets to be the church in some profound ways in our culture as things continue to sort of pull apart, become more divisive. I think there's a distinctiveness that the church has uh, and is intended for that will be refreshing and beautiful um, for the world around us. So the series is, is called Radical. And the idea is that um, it's the activity of the gospel. When we think about this, the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the resurrection to provide a foundation that can sustain or support the weight of our desires. Like there's something that God has done that can bear the weight of human desire, human emotion. And it does so in a way that allows us to experience uh, the fullness of what God has intended for us. And so as we unpack this over the next few weeks, when we're looking in the book of Mark this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. But if you, if we, pay attention and listen and learn what I think is instructed here, um, you will find God's purpose for your life. I, I know that sounds like a big, bold claim. I'll make several big, bold claims today. But a lot of us, especially what I see with, the, with, the, with the generation coming out of high school and college, it's like this obsession with finding my purpose. And it's like this thing that if you can just find your purpose, then you'll be happy. And so everything, you know, pick the right major, pick the right job, pick the right college, pick the right this, make sure you do everything right, and then you'll find your purpose. I think it's much more available and much simpler than that. And the problem is that a lot of us, when we hear something like, oh, if you, if, you, know, if you listen and learn, we learn together in this series, you'll find God's purpose. You immediately start to think, what, what do I need to do in order to get that? And so as we kind of unpack today, I wanna show you a couple of different models 
that we use, there's actually three of them. I'll get to that in just a minute. But there's a way in which the world operates, the way in which we've been instructed, uh, really not even instructed, it just happens. Then there's something else that God wants us. One has to do with how, what we're gonna do. The other has to, be, uh, to do with what we're going to be. So like in this model up here, what we try to do is we figure out what is required of us. What do we need to do in order to get what we want? So if we wanna find our purpose, that's what we wanna get, then we'll figure out what we have to do in order to do that, we'll do it well. If we want to you know, be happy, if we wanna get happiness or satisfaction, we'll figure out what we need to do to get that and then we'll try that. And then what we do once we get it is we hold on to it and we try to hold on to it. We arrange our lives and work to hold on to it. Even when we read stories in the scriptures, right? Like Jesus said, I have come to give you life to the full. We go, oh my gosh, I would love life to the full. What do I need to do in order to get that? And so everything about us is trying to figure out what we need to do in order to get what we want. And then we get it, we hold on to it. And we grip it and we grip it tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And the more things that you get that you want, the, the more likely you are to hold on to them and cling to them even more so. And we do this at the expense of our own soul. And I believe at the expense of the way we're actually created to live. Um, I think, and this is what you've heard me talk about a lot, but there's a process that actually defies all this. And it's the process by which we become. And the process goes like this. Many of you know this. It's what, it starts with what you encounter, what it is that you see, what it is you behold, what it is you collide with and encounter. Whatever happens out of those forms and shapes us. It affects who we are. And then out of that place, our lives are simply an expression of who we are. And so my premise in this is that you're gonna to listen to the words of Jesus a lot of times in what the scriptures teach us. We're gonna to try to figure out how to do them so we can get this thing we're after and we're gonna live in the wrong system. What we wanna be able to do is to encounter God in such a way. We wanna encounter who Jesus is in such a way, Jesus himself in such a way that it actually shapes us. This is really, really important. You and I as human beings, you've been created to bear God's image. That is the essence of what it means to be human. And so when I began to kind of think about this, I was writing in my journal, sitting on my deck last Tuesday, and I was just writing down some questions. And so I'm gonna just inflict on you some of my journal entries for the next few minutes. But I just began to pause, because I've been thinking about this a lot, this, this idea there's a foundation that will support the weight of human emotion. There's a foundation that can support and bring fulfillment to the human experience. So I just began to ask myself a series of questions. What is the fullness of the human experience? What would it be like for you to live or to experience the life you want? What would it be like to have a full life, to experience that for yourself? How do we leverage our lives to get the things that will bring us a deep sense of satisfaction? Like, because right now everybody's given their lives to something, right? That's gonna bring, how do you leverage your life towards the things that are gonna bring us this deep sense of satisfaction? What would that mean for the way in which we, or for what we do with our lives? What would it mean for the things that you pursue and do the activity of your lives if that fullness was available? And then lastly, is what is it that we would give our lives to in order for this to be a reality? What would you give your life? So you're giving your life to something. You're giving your life to something. The, the thing is, when you look back in 10, 15, 20, 30 years, Will what you have given your life to be worth the experience? Will it be worth 
what you have experienced in your life? Will there be a fullness there? And so part of this, I'm gonna go ahead and set this up now because I can be a little bit quicker. Uh, than about three or four months ago, I'm not really sure how long ago it was. I drew this graph and I talked about the fact that there's this trajectory of our view of ourselves and our view of God. So our view of God and our view of ourselves, how we view ourselves. Do we have a low view or a high view? You got a high view over there, my man. I'm tracking. And so what happens in this, and a lot of us have been sort of grown up, if you've grown up in the church and depending on your tradition, right? You've been taught to have a high view of God and a low view of yourself, right? And this usually leads to some sort of base emotion of guilt, right? Everything is about trying to, God has somehow deemed us unworthy and worthless, but yet in his great mercy, he did something for us. So we just wanna beat ourselves down, elevate God, and that becomes the way we give him glory. Um, then you have sort of a low view of God and a high view of ourselves, right? Basically like God could be your genie or you could be an atheist. Either one doesn't really matter because it's all up to you. And this quadrant is sort of marked by arrogance. And it, ironically enough, in here, you have both victimhood and you have sort of the deserving model. Both of these are in this quadrant because both of them believe that if you have stuff, it's because you've earned it. And if you don't have stuff, it's because you deserve it, but didn't get it. So both of these live over here. They're a low view of, of God and, and ultimately have to have some view. Then it just progresses backwards. Over here, this is sort of marked by despair or what you might call empty. And then up here, what we said is if we could come to believe, and I don't mean a high view of yourself like you're cool. I mean a high view of yourself that God made you and intended you. The more I think about what God has done, I, used to, I, I always talk to this, people talk about God's unconditional love. And I said, no, there is a condition. The condition is that God made you and therefore you are worthy of his love, right? That he, he created you with that to bear his images, to receive what he's done. There's nothing wrong with this. So it's, it's to really understand this and then to have a huge, hugely high view of God. And as you move in this direction, what you'll find over here is what I think we would call full life. So that's, that's the, the way I want us to think about this. Because there are a couple of foundational assumptions that I want to give you. So again, this is some of my journal and kind of reflecting on this over the past, I don't know, five, six, seven years. But the first thing is this, if, 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 if you assume that we've been made by God and for God, right? If, if, that's, if that's something you can say, okay, I believe it. And these are a couple of assumptions then I want uh, for us to, to, to sort of put out there. The first one is this, that God's love is the only sufficient source for human relationships. Now, I wanna be really clear. I recognize there are lots of other ways in which we can find sufficiency in human relationships. You can like how someone makes you feel. You can like what they do for you. There's all kinds of transactional ways, but which are completely sufficient for human beings to operate with one another. What I'm suggesting is something deeper for what we really want. The sense of fullness and freedom is that God's love for us is the only foundation sufficient for human relationships. 
And that brings me to sort of the second idea is that God's love is not only sufficient for human relationships, but it's also the only foundation that can support the fullness of human expression. Maybe said like this, that if you were made by God and for God, then you will not find meaning or purpose, the fullness of meaning or purpose in your life apart from him. That, that's, that's what we're talking about. So those two things, and you can agree with them, disagree with them, but at least you know where I'm coming from and what I'm sort of putting out for us to think about this. Because what I think we need in our culture, what's happening is we need a radical reorientation. We have a, a culture that is inclined towards humanitarian efforts and service to others. Every company does it. Um, people don't even buy coffee unless their purchasing of coffee goes to some good things. Right? We have social entrepreneurship. All those things are prevalent and all those things are good. There's nothing wrong with them. But we have an inclination that somehow that this idea of serving and servants and doing good things for others is really sort of an elevation of our own sense to feel good, right? It's what we, what we need to do in order to get this satisfaction that we, that we want. So it becomes a lot of do-gooding and a lot of things. And so the question I wanna ask is, what do each of these quadrants do for our activity of servanthood, of serving one another? Well, you begin to see in the Bible, and this is gonna be a radical reorientation, that, that when Jesus tells us, Right? It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. When he says something like that, he's not just telling us something to do so we can get this thing we're looking for and then we hold on to it. He's actually calling us into a way of being that the way of life as a servant is not just instructional, but it's actually about our identity. It's about who it is that we actually become. We've got to get our eyes down here to start to see what did Jesus model? Who was he? And how does the reality of who he is shape us, form us into the image in which we've been created to bear. Um, part of this is my own journey. Um, this isn't just about um, some instructions to help us do things that are good for the world. This is really about our allegiance. When I talk about living under a rule and reign, this is what I'm talking about. This has probably been the thing to me that has been most compelling uh, in this last season of my life where I wake up every day ready to, to be a part and to see and say, God, what is it you're doing in the world and how can I, I, I be a part of it? And it's not because I work at a church. What has happened is I've been considering this, the vision of what it looks like to do and to be a, uh, to be a part of this kind of work has expanded my vision to where there are 10,000 things and options available to me to be able to participate in this way. It involves everything from preaching messages to writing to you know, cleaning gutters to working in schools or even lawyers, right? Even, like, I mean, everything sort of, I'm, I'm just kidding. Everything sort of fits into this, this redemptive idea of what God wants to do. Because what I want is, I want you to feel like, I don't want you to feel like that somehow serving is about what you do in the church. We're gonna talk about that. But this modeling, this way of life is actually available to you in every single thing that you do, every single day of our lives but it's about who we become. So that's where I want for us to begin in the tension. So what I'm gonna to do today is do three things in the last 19 minutes and seven seconds. Number one is I want you to feel a ton of tension today. I want you to feel the tension. I want you to feel the tension between this and this. I want you to feel the tension to hold on to your life and to recognize that. And then I want to, to, to there's another way that we are called to live. 
I'm gonna define service and what I mean by service to you. And then number three is I'm gonna try to put a bullseye around what I want for us um, to do uh, as, a, as a response to this. So Mark chapter 10, um, what's happening in, in the book of Mark, this is, uh, Jesus is already telling them that he's gonna die. And um, he's on the rise. His popularity is, you know, he's got a lot of followers on Instagram. Uh, TikTok's blowing up all the things. And um, he's kind of at the pinnacle of this. And so he gets his disciples and he says, hey, I'm gonna be delivered over to the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the Roman government. They're gonna crucify me. I'm gonna be killed. And they're all like, Jesus, that's a bad idea. That's a, this is not how things work, right? If you're in power, you stay in power. You don't die. And so this is sort of what's happening. And they all feel this. And they all know how people responded to Jesus. And so there's 12 disciples, I'll know this, right? One of them's gonna betray him. There's one that's kind of crazy and he cuts off a dude's ear at one point in time. There's two brothers that are known as the sons of thunder. And so these two brothers are James and John. And so they show up and they have, uh, they, they are, they're gonna ask Jesus a question. This is in uh, Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. Ironically enough, when Matthew records this story, he records the same story about the two disciples going to ask Jesus a question, except it's not James and John that ask the question. It's James and John's mom. This is like your mom going to talk to your boss about something, right? Y'all have seen this. Oh, listen, people have called the church. Like, I'm like, hey, look, man, your kid's like 32 years old. I'm not talking to your mom, right? Um, anyway, that's another, another thing. So Mark leaves this out, and this is how it reads. We'll read this together. So James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, teacher, they said, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do. This is a great approach to Jesus because you know he's just sitting there going, can't wait to hear this. Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do. So Jesus just looks back and says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, we've been thinking about this. We want uh, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And we're so humble, we don't even care who's at the right or the left, right? That's the, I mean, think about this. So they, they see something is about to happen. Jesus is about to be in charge. His glory, right? That's what glory is. Glory is when you are in charge and you call the shots and they're like, hey, we wanna be in on this. This is, this is how we think. This is how the world works. You get power, you hold power. That's what you do. And so this is what they're asking him. And then, then Jesus goes on. You can imagine Jesus just sitting there thinking about this. And he looks at them and he says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink? Can, can you endure the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? And he's not talking about like going to church and taking communion and getting dunked in a pool. He's talking about, can you take the cup? The, the cup is, is, is the suffering. Can you endure the sacrifice? Can you tolerate the sacrifice that's required? Can you enter in to the way that I'm about to model? Can you do that? Now, he uses this kind of cryptic language, but they're sitting there calculating, and then they go, we can. <laughs> We've talked about this. We had coffee yesterday. We think we can handle this. I mean, who are you gonna give it to? Peter, right? That's what they're kind of thinking. Like, who else is gonna do this? So then Jesus says to them, you will drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. 
But to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Then you can imagine what happens when the other 10 heard that James and John went and asked this ludicrous question. Do you know why they were so mad and indignant? Because they didn't get there first because they were all thinking the same thing. Because it's how the world works. When the 10 heard about this, verse 46, they became indignant with James and John. And now they get to all pretend. We would have never asked that, even though they, like they all were. We would have never, we're just, we're indignant. And Jesus calls them all together. And he says, you know, that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded in over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. You know how the world works. You know what to do to get power. And then you know what to do to hold power. And this is how the world works. You know, how to, you know what to do to get your way. And then you know how to work to hold on to getting your way. You know how the world works. And look at the next sentence. This is why it's not about some command. He says, it is not so among you. This is not how people who follow me live or act or give their allegiance. You don't use your power or your influence to get your way. There's something else going on. So he brings all of his disciples together and he tells them this, you've heard, you know how the world works, but it is not so among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, you must become your, must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Now, you know what we hear almost immediately? I wanna be great. How do I get being great? How do I get greatness? You serve. So I'll sign up and I'll serve. And we're right back in the same model. If you notice the language, what he says is, whoever wants to be great, he doesn't say whoever wants to be great needs to serve. He said, whoever wants to be great needs to be a servant. The Greek word is actually an identity word. It needs to become this, needs to actually, this needs to be their identity. And then he goes on the last verse, he says, for the son of man did not come to serve. I'm sorry, he did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for all. This is a really, really difficult challenging way for us to consider. And so when I think about this, because what it's gonna require for you, a lot of us have this idea, right? And in our culture, it's happening. In our culture, we are, we are so consumed with holding on to our lives. And please don't, don't mishear me. Um, I recognize that we need health and we need mental health and we need emotional stability. I recognize all of those things. That, that's, that's not the same thing, but it, are, it is related. A lot of us live so afraid of going off the cliff, emotionally or physically or financially, whatever it is that we, we we're afraid, so we try to hold on. And we hold on to our lives often at the expense of them. We are bottled up, fearful and terrified that we're going to lose something. Do you know what Jesus actually said? If you try to hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life or her life for my sake will find it. If anyone wants to be my disciple, right, let them take up their cross, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow after me. 
These are really difficult things that Jesus has asked us to do. And there's only two ways. Either he really wants your life to be put sort of under his thumb and to ruin your life, or he knows that somehow this is the path to fullness. This is the path for something to happen in you where you are free enough to actually give yourself away. So when I think about service, here's how I, I define it, or we're gonna define it. I guess me, us, by, you know, you get the idea. <clears throat> because a lot, and listen, don't get me wrong, um, serving in the parking lot, um, that's, 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 that's service, right? You're, you're actually doing sin prevention. You're keeping people from saying terrible things to each other <laughs> when they come in the parking lot. Uh, serving in grow zone, and, and all the things that we do around here, right? Those are, those, are, those, are great. those are really, really good opportunities for service. Um, but serving is both offering yourself to another for their good. And it's contributing to the good of the world around us. It's, it's when you do things. Some of you, right, you work in the business world and you employ people and you give people the opportunity to do meaningful work with their lives and their hands and their minds. And, and there are people who take advantage of that and they use it to do this and there are other people who see it as an opportunity to offer or avail themselves. It's all, we're gonna talk about this. It's all, all I can do today is like shake up the can and pop the lid and that's what we're gonna be able to do today. We can't drink anything. We're just gonna make a mess. But I want you to understand this because a lot of us think that we either, especially if you grew up in this model, do you think that you're just never doing enough? And at some point you just gotta learn that you just need to do what you can. And the freedom that comes, the freedom that comes from that is to posh. But the challenge is not in what you do, it's who you become. Can you see yourself as a servant whose life is available to be given away. How willing are we to trust Jesus that if we hold on, we're gonna lose it. But if we lose our lives, we'll find something miraculous in the process. Right? This, is, this is sort of the radical reorientation that we all need. We all know how the world is going to operate. It's not gonna be a surprise. The political ads are not gonna be a surprise. The news is not gonna be a surprise. The way they advertise is not gonna be a surprise. None of this is gonna be a surprise. And then Jesus looks at us and says, but it's not so among you. What will be a surprise when a group of people begin to live differently and offer something different to the world around us, okay? So this is what Dallas Willard says. Dallas Willard writes about this and he talks about the fact that most of us get consumed with trying to figure out what to do in order to get what we want and then kind of hold on to it. And this is, he uses a different model, but he's, that's the idea. And he, what we come to believe is that if we just um, tell the truth uh, in this moment, or we just uh, don't lie in that moment, or we're just kind to this person in that moment, or we give a little bit in that moment, and we just do these things sort of when they're required of us, then we'll be okay. And what happens is we don't ever learn how to be the kind of people for whom those things actually flow. He actually quipped this one time. Someone asked him about being a thief. And he said, you know that a thief is not someone who steals. Everybody's like, what? He said, a thief is not someone who steals. A thief is someone who would steal if given the opportunity. And he's talking about what's happening in here. He's talking about what kind of person are you? A servant, right, 
is someone who, that, it's, it's different than just having activities. It's, sort of, it's, it's something inside of us. This is what Dallas Willard says. It is part of the misguided and whimsical condition of humankind that we so devoutly believe in the power of effort at the moment of action alone to accomplish what we want and to completely ignore the need for character change in our lives as a whole. To think that you can just will yourself to do good things, Jesus things in a moment because you would without becoming the kind of person is foolish. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not commit to the kind of life that will produce the kind of action, uh, the kind of action that we know to be right and the condition that we want to enjoy. What if the fullness of the human experience was to give your life away? All of these do something to our posture of serving. If you have a low view of God, a high view of yourself, your posture of serving is usually pity. You feel bad for those people, so you should do something kind for them. It's a whole world full of that. Over here, what you have, if anything, is this sort of demand. And it really falls more on this side, but usually there's just not, we don't even, we don't even feel worthy of this. Up here, you're usually trying to compensate to make up for the sacrifice that God has made to do something to sort of assuage or alleviate the, the mercy that he gave you to do this. But over here, if you learn and you come to bear his image by the source of his life, you giving your life away in service actually just becomes authentic expression. If you want to be great, you've got to be something. You've got to be a servant. I know a few people who this is how their lives are arranged. Not many. I'm, I'm learning. And I hope that we'll learn together. Because if what Jesus has said, if what Jesus said is true, the greatness that awaits his people isn't how much power we leverage politically. It's not the things that we get done. It's the way we serve. It's the way we give ourselves away. And we're gonna see over the next few weeks, this isn't just a concession and it's not simply a means to an end. People need service, so we're gonna serve them. It's not, a, it's not an effective way to meet needs. Serving is actually an integral expression of the image of God. And so the bullseye, the goal for me and for us is that we would be full enough, we would live fully enough to give our lives away. That's the goal. And here's how it happens. By seeing and encountering the one in whose image you are being formed into. 
to stop and to spend time with God, with, to stop and to look into the eyes of Jesus and not try to cajole or get him to tell you what to do or to tell him, will you do anything that I, would you do what I want you to do? And just look and gaze and encounter him and his will and his way in his heart such that it changes you, changes you. That's what has to happen in order for this to occur, right? How's that for the next season? All right? Okay. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. Father, all we've done is opened up a can. And my prayer is that you would help us to see you, not to try and convince you that we're doing what we can or if we had this, we would do more, but just to see you to trust that where we are in this moment is sufficient for you to use, that where we are in this moment is sufficient for um, your grace and your mercy, and that we would posture ourselves to see you, to encounter you. And Father, our ask would not be for us to do more or for you to do more, but that our ask would be, Lord, Would you let us encounter you in such a way that we become more like the kind of person that you've created us to be and that out of that fullness would our lives be given away for the good of others and for the good of the world in which you long to redeem. And so I lift all this to you, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus. We ask your help. We believe it's what you've promised. And I ask this in your son's name, uh, Jesus, who is our king. Amen.